Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. You'll have ad-free episodes and join us on our monthly Zoom calls with other podcast listeners and get to know the community at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes. This is what LA is. You know, it's just such a great melting pot of thoughts, ideas, diversity, people, and just everything. I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. My name is Esprit Devora, born and raised LA, and I created We Are LA Tech in 2012 to unify the community. Podcast launched in 2014, continuing to help people find the best talent, to connect with each other, to form awesome relationships. So proud of this show. Enjoy. Today's We Are LA Tech podcast episode shout out goes to Abel Hernandez. Abel Hernandez, thank you so much for engaging with us on the We Are LA Tech Instagram. We appreciate you. Be sure to say hello to Abel Hernandez on Instagram at Abel Product. That's A-B-E-L-P-R-O-D-U-C-T. Tell him you found him via We Are LA Tech. And welcome back to the We Are LA Tech podcast, spotlighting LA tech companies and talent. I am Dave Whalen, CEO of Bioscience LA, uh, and now a second year, 2023, first recording for 2023 as a guest host for We Are LA Tech. Thank you to the We Are LA Tech community. Thank you to Esprit for uh, bringing me into this awesome world and, and telling some great stories. Uh, super excited to talk about technology ecosystem, innovation ecosystem in LA, and especially how it connects to uh, health tech and what I'm doing at Bioscience LA. And so this is one that's going to touch on that and touch on a bunch of other things. So really excited to have Vahag Karayan here. Uh, Vahag, welcome. Uh, please just uh, dive in and uh, you know, tell me a little bit about your your story and uh, how you got to LA and we'll take it from there. Oh, man. Uh, Dave, thank you for having me on the show. This is uh, amazing. And, you know, we've known each other for some time now through Anderson. Happy to run you through my story. And uh, it is a long one, so stop me anytime. All right. And, we, and we'll talk Anderson somewhere in there. But, yeah, take take me back. And uh, you're not from Los Angeles. I know that. So uh, maybe even go back there. So. <laughs> All right. So I'm not from Los Angeles. I'm from the crumbles of Soviet Union. That's kind of where... You know, what I like to start, uh, came to U U.S. and L.A., you know, in 1991, literally the year that the whole Soviet Union was collapsing. And I'll give you a very short story on that. So we're ready to move to to U.S., obviously better opportunity, the American dream uh, from, you know, Armenia when Armenia was part of Soviet Union back then. And, you know, it's like two weeks left and we're about to take our flight to Moscow and then fly to, you know, L.A. Uh, and then you, this whole change of government happens during the time of the Soviet Union collapsed. So we're pinned on the TV screens and worrying that the whole and uh, yeah, and the, the and the government announces this is when there was Yeltsin, and then they these guys came took over, and then they announced that all the you know everything is closed, all the borders are closed. So now we have sold our home there. We have everything packed, sitting at the, in front of the TVs, hoping things will change. Obviously, if you remember, there were tanks in Moscow and all kinds of crazy things happened. Luckily, everything changed back. And this is exactly why I'm sitting here. It's like I get the shivers when I tell the story because it could have been completely different. Uh, I have different stories on that front. But yes, got lucky, escaped that, uh, came to here for better opportunity. Obviously, I love my country, Armenia. You know, that's where I grew up to 16. But here, I consider myself very lucky, not only coming here, you know, for a better opportunity, but, you know, having the childhood of, you know, living in Armenia, Soviet Union, and how that world was and how things were and what I've learned from that that contributed to, you know, any success I've had, or actually, I'll say the contributed to actually the American dream that I lived uh, here in uh, L.A. That's just very, very cool. And I can only imagine this, the stress of that. And, and by the way, I'm just going to say that uh, 
Um, so actually, you know, I, I moved to Los Angeles in 2000. So you are more of an Angelino than I am. So there, there you have. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, the thing is, came to L.A., I have zero plans of leaving LA. I'm like the, as hardcore of an LA fan as, as anyone gets. So it's, I'm here. I love it. It's expensive, but hey, it's completely worth it. That's how I look at it. And we can dive into that either here today or some other time on why, but uh, I love it here. We'll come back to that, uh, like sort of what, you know, what makes LA so special because I totally agree. But, um, and clearly you love LA so much that uh, you have, uh, I think three degrees from UCLA. Is that is that right? So uh, maybe there's another one in there I don't know about. But uh, so you like LA so much, you you put it, you put it on three diplomas too. That's right. Uh, I scare my wife sometimes. It's like I'm gonna go get a, a psychology degree. That's another passion of mine. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, no, no, no way. But yes, I love LA. I love UCLA. Triple Bruin. Very proud. Uh, and you know, it started all from. Coming here, starting the uh, high school, I was started at 10, middle of 10th grade. And, uh, you know, thanks to everything. And I don't believe when people say, you know, oh, there are not that I don't believe. Obviously, there are things wrong with our educational system at the high school level. But it's 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 still wonderful. Came here, had the opportunity to go through that and even had the chance to learn English so much without knowing anything to be able to get a chance to apply to Caltech, to UCLA and uh, uh and and get there by the way i'm gonna say this one because i remember uh, on one of your podcasts you mentioned that you really wanted to go to mit but you didn't <laughs> you end up going to stanford uh, guess what the same thing happened to me i was here a very short time only like year and a half and i had to apply to universities and i was like i have to go to caltech i was like science geek i was astronomy and physics geek back then and i was like i have to go to caltech i was whole my the moment I got the rejection from Caltech, obviously my, my score, math scores were through the roof, but didn't matter, didn't get in. I was devastated. When I went to UCLA, after like two months, I was like, oh my God, thank God I didn't get into Caltech. <laughs> <laughs> it's a personality thing, you know? Totally feel that way where, I, yes, I, apparently I still do talk about I'm still a little bitter about not getting into MIT, but also I just, I can't imagine, like, I can't imagine that really having been the right direction for me. And I'm so happy with what happened. And uh, so, uh, yeah, you know what? Look, you're still in LA. There's still opportunities to to collaborate with Caltech and stuff. So, uh, you know, they're they're not going anywhere. Just to make sure I'm, I'm clear. So you... You came to the U.S. with sort of zero zero English. Uh, I mean, you you saw you saw TV maybe, but I don't even know what I don't even know what sort of U.S. TV you you got uh, in uh, you know in kind of Soviet uh, you know Soviet era Armenia. So some Brady Bunch or something like that. But uh, so you came here basically not speaking English. Nothing. The Iron Curtain was so good that we got zero opportunity. So. I think some of the you know movies were trickling in Terminator and all that at that time, but uh, but it was all dubbed and you know zero. So I tried to take English classes. There were literally when I came here, I, I knew almost no English. Uh, it was you know we had no money and I knew no English. My parents knew no English. That's kind of where we started. Wow, and so that and that's the middle of tenth grade, and so basically a year and a half later, less than a year and a half later, you're applying to colleges and. You know, less than two years later, you're uh, you're a freshman at UCLA. So that's pretty. That's right. That definitely feels like the American dream to me. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, it, it was that. It was the way, and I still appreciate what I got more. You know, enough what I got from you know here. It's like going to summer school, winter school. You know, toughing out. If you are here, anyone, you know, there's just so much opportunity even now. So you can make it, you know, if you just are willing to work hard. And that's the beauty of being in U.S. versus any other country. You know, you may be there. It may look like an opportunity, but in reality, you're going to be sucked into corruption and all these all kinds of different things where, you know, you're going to find all kinds of uh, uh, hurdles to just get anywhere. You know, being an outsider, you know, being discriminated and all that. I, you know, I, I really believe that this is the place to be, seriously. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, lo- I love that. And again, I think LA, LA is sort of everything you just said, you know, times times 10 times 100. So uh, it's, it's, it is a great place to be. So 
Talk about what did you study at UCLA or what, what did you want to study when you applied? It must have been technical since you wanted to go to Caltech. So you wanted to, you wanted to be a technology person. You get to UCLA. What do you do? Very good. I'm going to be on record to say that I actually, I absolutely love Caltech still. It just didn't fit me when I said, you know, I didn't get in. I was happy, but Caltech is <laughs> it's amazing. A beautiful, awesome. It's a beautiful campus. I love hanging absolutely. out there. I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you know, like uh, astrophysics, that was my passion, believe it or not. You know, I started, I applied UCLA physics major in with the hope of I'm going to go and become an astrophysicist. Uh, started there for a few quarters and my my uncle, he is a physicist, actually from Soviet Union era. You can imagine how hardcore that is. And uh, he came here to U.S. and he he worked for stock market, you know. And he obviously he he knew incredible coding. And uh, he basically taught taught me if you're not gonna go all the way to PhD and like dedicate your life to physics, just does it's not worth the time. You know, it's not it's not what you want to do. It hit me. So I was like, I got to think about what I want to do. Even though I love physics and astrophysics, I was like, okay, the next closest thing that I, you know, I, I found that it was fun was electrical engineering. Obviously, all this comes through with my love for math. So all that is carrying through. So electrical engineering, computer science, you know, half major, uh, switched to that. Never looked back since that point. Uh, but so I started with the hardcore sciences, but uh, we can talk about how I evolved to a creator economy and how. You know, what makes Vahag a Vahag, uh, which is very different than, you know, being that hardcore science guy that I was back in the day. Did you go right into your master's program uh, at, at UCLA or did you go out? You said you did that before working then. Right. So it was di- directly went to master's. This is when the the Internet bubble was happening at that time. Uh, lost a whole bunch of money investing. You know, I was making a lot of money and then suddenly I had zero money. <laughs> Back in that gap time where, you know, going from undergrad to grad, yeah, I went from electrical engineering to now I went to computer science and more kind of sensor, embedded sensors, embedded computing, hardcore like algorithms, uh, et cetera. That was my master's on the, on the computer science. At the same time, I used to work at Hughes Research Labs up to up in Malibu. Uh, amazing place. I absolutely love the people working there. Such a good brain place. People don't know about it, a lot about it, but it's a, such a good, amazing place. Also a beautiful part of Los Angeles too. I mean, imagine a you know a bunch of uh, nerdy uh, you know space research scientists like on the hills above Malibu. I mean, it's it's like it's pretty interesting. Uh, so we had an open house back in the day at the at the Hughes Research Lab. My parents came and my wife came. My wife came and it was her first time. There's like, why is this an HRL? Why are you guys doing all this stuff? This could be a resort. You know, it can be so beautiful. It's looking down <laughs> at Malibu. Nobody gets this kind of real estate, but uh, yeah, obviously I loved it here. It's it's funny because that was my so my first job was there. I was one of my first jobs over there, and I had the best view ever. Never had that view anymore uh, from that point on. My office was as an intern was from bottom up window of glass. Uh, well, not window of glass, but just glass, you know, outlook to basically Pacific Ocean and Malibu. It's just like I still remember that. Yeah, it's pretty. It's a, it's tough. It's tough to compete with that, but uh, you know, we'll 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 work on that in the next the next one, right? When we get to Brand Lens, you're going to talk about how you're going to have an amazing office overlooking the Pacific Ocean again. That's right. <laughs> that's the goal. Yeah. So from from actually here's Digital Labs, I went to JPL. So I worked for NASA for some time. Uh, technology again. I'll quickly progress to tell you. Basically, I, all my career. I absolutely love learning new things. That's kind of what drove me. This is why the Caltech was not a fit for me, even though I was hardcore, but I love learning new things about new stuff. So I always got bored quickly from when I would master something. I didn't want to redo that same thing over and improve that incremental improvement. I wanted to learn something new and master something new. That was, that's just what made me, me, which is like the generalist. So I went from NASA to the missile defense agency startup. Uh, I was doing like proposals to missile defense agency and DARPA, one few. Uh, then from that went to medical devices. You probably know for a good 12 years now, probably, you know, uh, you know, uh, St. Jude Medical, Boston Scientific, the, and then on to entertainment from that point on. Just to recap here. So you did not get into Caltech, but then you had your first three jobs working literally with rocket scientists and, uh, you know, doing that kind of, and then you went to work essentially with, with brain surgeons. So you've worked with rocket scientists and brain surgeons. So you've done the two 
toughest, uh, you know, toughest things in the world. But and, and by the way, I've, you know, I, I don't even know if we talked about this in the in the past, but I've, uh, you know, I used to do a lot of strategy consulting with with Boeing, uh, you know, and El Segundo, kind of their satellite, you know, satellite business. So I've also spent time around the aerospace and defense world, and then you know, found my way into health tech. And I actually love that there's there's so many kind of commonalities there in terms of like the um, you know, the, the, the systems engineering sort of like big picture story of, of building, building technologies and then just the, you know, kind of the, the stakes, right? When you're building, you know, defense technologies or satellites, your, uh, you know, missiles, you know, these are things that have to have to work right, you know, the first time and every time, right? You know, satellites have to go up there and, you know, work without fail, for 15 years or whatever, um, and you know it's life or death situation. And then you go into health tech, and you've got technologies that it's a heart implant, it's a you know whatever, it's something that has to work right the first time and every time, and it's literally life or death. So you've hit both of those uh, areas. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, same thing. I mean, it's so good to connect on that. I like. Uh, so I'll add something to that. Then the technology you're working with in this uh, you know places. So. You know, NASA is known the innovation, all these, we can put something on, on Mars. But if you look at the technology, underlying technology NASA uses, it's the generation before, before the current generation. It's like, because they have to be NASA proof, you know, space proof, you know, I, for, you know, I'm, I'm going to use technology, you know, terminology, to, but, but, and the same way is with medical devices, you know, the devices, they're working on like it used to be working on eight bit processors, you know, now they're in 16 bit processor. And we eked every single thing out of that. The kind of things we did with that was crazy. Same thing with the NASA and, and JPL, you know, the rovers were operating on this kind of like hardened, you know, uh, FPGAs that were only existent in nineties and you know, technology is slow to adapt for good reason. Yeah. I think, I think they say there's still like, I mean, there's still, Fortran running, uh, you know, certain aspects of, uh, you know, of our defense systems or things like that, just because they haven't changed it, right? And it's like, this was coded, uh, you know, I don't know the last time Fortran was used, but uh, it was a long time ago. So things like that. But uh, so I I love all these transitions. I mean, I guess what, you know, what drew you from, you know, from kind of aerospace tech to med tech, and then, um, and then we met when you were working in MedTech. But yeah, what, what drew you from that, uh, you know, from one to the other? So that wasn't a conscious choice to make that move. Actually, uh, it just happened that I was working at this missile defense agency startup. I got approached. Uh, it was great, actually. Uh, a little stressful, but it was great. I got approached by a recruiter from uh, medical devices, uh, you know, saying, you know, you're doing all kinds of algorithms for missile defense. I think you'd be a good fit for this particular thing. So recruiter re- reached out, I had a conversation and it looked and sounded very interesting, just like there, I would be contributing to something, you know, so valuable, you know, human saving human life, uh, connected really quickly. They persuaded me and I, I, you know, I quickly got hired to do work on uh, defibrillators and implantable defibrillators and uh, pacemakers. Uh, it was, it was amazing. And so that's how the transition happened. I joined as a firmware engineer, then very shortly I moved into management, uh, program project management uh, at the medical devices. Got it. And is that, um, is that at the same time somewhere in there is when you went to Anderson as well? Is that uh, you back for back for one more degree? Yeah. So actually what happened is I was at St. Jude Medical there and uh, I worked there for a few years, you know, progressed through and I got recruited by a competitor, Boston Scientific. I accepted the job. And then at the same time, you know, I was going to start Anderson. And then at the same time, we had a baby. So I was doing EMBA at Anderson. And then I was doing EMBA as executive MBA. Uh, and I was starting a new job and uh, starting MBA, obviously an MBA kid and a new job all together. It was fun. <laughs> See that I, I will tell you, this is my, uh, um, so, you know, we both went to Anderson for business school, but like, I have the exact opposite story. Cause I always say, like, I, I look at people like you and like, how do you do it? Cause I, you know, I was a single guy living in the Bay area. I, you know, I get accepted to the full-time MBA program. I quit my job. I moved to LA. I have, you know, I have no relationship, you know, you know, no spouse, no child, no job. And all I'm doing is business school. 
And it was a lot of work. It was like, and I and I look at I look at my classmates who were fembas. I look at classmates who were married or pregnant or had kids, and it's like this. That's like three or four jobs on top of it. I could barely juggle like classes and like you know going to like beer busts and stuff like that. And so I don't know how you do it all. <laughs> so. If you ask me, if you would you do it again, you know, absolutely yes. I love the experience at the Anderson and uh, all, all of that, you know, even though it was stressful time. So uh, I went going from one medical device to another medical device and then doing the, all that at the same time. Pretty crazy. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. But yeah, and I agree that, I mean, the, you know, UCLA Anderson school, amazing. The network is amazing. I mean, we, we originally met when we, when we met a few years ago, it was because of the Anderson network and just really, you know, interesting, you know, you were you were looking for some guidance on uh, taking uh, technology, you know, into some different markets, and wanted to, you know, wanted to talk to someone who had some expertise, and you know, somehow that that led us together. Um, but while while uh, we'll come back to that in a second, but while you were while you were you know, kind of post Anderson, I guess um, you also shifted, then, as you said, from kind of you know spending your your day job in you know the medical space to kind of moving more into the entertainment and creative space and how how did that happen i guess la is a creative place so maybe it just happens naturally you spend enough time in la and you you got to go hollywood right that's right it was gonna it was bound to happen at some point <laughs> go to hollywood so yeah i was at boston scientific i actually absolutely love boston scientific i still love it i still am in contact the head of boston scientific uh, the neurobandulation division is my mentor i can't thank enough his name is malik so i love that and brain you know we were i was working on brain uh basically getting the devices dbs devices the brain stimulation devices into brains i got again i got recruited from a friend of mine saying hey there's this opportunity at burbank like i told you from beginning you know, I always like look to learn new things, different things, and just new domain, master something new. So that's kind of what attracted me. And he was, and of course, the company was literally, I'm not kidding you, I walked to that company. It was called Entertainment Partners. They couldn't have been a company that would hire me, that would have been closer to my home than <laughs> that company. So that was a huge incentive as well. So it was change of pace, doing something different. I was going also, obviously, I was getting a promotion. Uh, yeah, it was really an easy, you know, brainless transition to entertainment industry. And that's kind of where I moved to uh, entertainment partners. Got it. And I know you were, I mean, your role, your role there was, I mean, you know, program management, which I guess I would say like the, you know, maybe the only industries that have kind of more rigorous sense of program management than entertainment, you know, probably is aerospace and defense, right? I mean, that's sort of, you live and die by kind of your, your program managers and your project managers and sort of, you know, being able to approach a, a big project with, you know, on time, on budget. And so I'm guessing they looked at your expertise and said, you know, if this guy can get you know, rockets into space, he can probably help, uh, you know, get some entertainment content out in, on time. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. I think and also same with medical devices, you know, the, the programs that are running in medical devices, they have very, very, very good program project management offices. They run, you know, I, we know that it has to be good at all fronts. Nothing can be missed when you submit anything to F FDA, obviously. Uh, but yeah, that was the transferable skill there. And I, I think in general, though, uh, I don't think people look to bring folks from different industries. It's a disappointment on my part where I hear that there's really not enough movement from industry to industry in general. And the reason I think it's so valuable to go from one place to another, because you bring different set of thoughts and ideas and what you've seen, you may think it's not relevant, but you can bring something that they've never, never, ever thought about. You know, uh, actually one of my favorite quotes is the injured, like ever is, the future is here is just unevenly distributed. So what it says is, you know, some other industry has a lot of different things they're doing differently, and they could be far more advanced than what is being done on this in, the, in this industry in certain elements. So when you actually push and get things, you know, people from different industries, you bring the, bringing it different diversity, not only personal and cultural and whatever, you're bringing different thought diversity that actually is going to help you be more innovative and apply something that has already exists somewhere else directly into your industry. So that I think that's not being done enough in, in, in the world. And it should be. 
Yeah, no, saying yeah, to- totally agree. And I think that uh, you know, honestly, L.A. again, you know, I'll keep on, I'll keep on, like, uh, you know, raising L.A. up because I, I really do think L.A. We make that happen. You know, maybe more than the Bay Area or uh, you know Boston or things like that, where you know they've got you know Bay Area's got their you know it, it's tech, 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 and it's kind of all hyper focused, and you know Boston with life sciences or things like that, where you don't find people who are that cross pollination and, you know, and in LA, um, you know, you've got, and you, know, you, and you've worked in, you I mean, you've now worked in what I think are, you know, three of three of the like five, you know, most interesting industries in Los Angeles between kind of the space industry, the healthcare industry and entertainment, you know, you throw in kind of, uh, you know, clean tech and, uh, you know, electric vehicles and, uh, you know, a couple other things around that, but like, you you pretty much hit them all, and uh, you know apparel and fashion, I suppose. But uh, you know you you the fact is we do have the ability to kind of connect the dots between these things, and you know bring different ideas to you know to bear. And I, I do think that LA makes that happen because of you know because of the fact that everyone comes from someplace else. You know everyone's bringing different ideas. We don't have a single industry here as much as people think that. Entertainment is kind of the the only industry in LA. You know, obviously, you know, we we know firsthand it's it's not the only industry in LA, and there's a lot of other ones. But you know, people actually do connect what they're doing to others and find ways to support each other. And I think that's also you know to to sell Anderson School again. You know, that's kind of the Anderson School angle as well. Is uh, it's not trying to create a, a business school class of. Uh, past management consultants who are future investment bankers. I mean, there are those, but there's also a lot of other people who come from really different backgrounds and, you know, did amazing different things before business school. And then they come out of business school and do amazing and different things that, uh, you know, sometimes seem to have no connection whatsoever to your basic accounting or finance or operations classes. But all that stuff helps to bring the right people together. Absolutely. 100% agree. It's a it's crazy. And I think that goes back to the the kind of yeah, diversity LA brings. It's just, that's just one of the pillars of one of the types of diversities. It is why LA is so wonderful. There's so much diversity in multi different faceted ways that you look at it. That's what makes LA very special. You know, you want to eat something in LA, you want Moroccan food, you can find a great Moroccan restaurant. You want Armenian food, you can find great Arm. I mean, you, this is what LA is you know it's just such a great melting pot of thoughts ideas diversity people and just everything weather obviously you know the you can't beat the weather here in la uh, it, all of that comes together oh i thought you were gonna say it's diver- diversity of weather because it's been uh, you know we've had like uh you know solid rain for the past few days as we're recording here but that is the you know we're in the middle of our uh, you know, this year we get two weeks of rain rather than one week of rain. Otherwise, it's amazing, right? So. It's been it's been crazy rain, but it's it's we need it. It's a little crazy. We need it too much, but uh, definitely we need that. Uh, I'm going to add another thing on this. So it's not just those diversity. I think educational diversity is also very rich in LA. You look at the kind of universities, you know, the UCLA, that other school called USC. Uh, Absolutely love USC, by the way. My wife was USC graduate. I don't, you know, I still, you know, everything is great. Of course, it's UCLA first, but uh, Caltech and you look at the, you know, all the liberal arts schools, everything. There's so much, so diverse, so diverse LA ecosystem. It's beautiful. You know, you can't put a value of how good that, how important that is. Yeah, no, to- totally agree. And I think that's, again, also something that's under not undersold, but maybe un- unknown. Because again, I think people, when they think of the Bay Area and they just think of Stanford and Berkeley and that's, you know, how great they are, and, you know, and they are, or, you, you know, you think of Boston and, you know, MIT and Harvard. And, um, you know, I talk about this a lot because, um, of course, there's other, there's other schools in both of those places, but, you know, there are not very many places that have three world-class universities like UCLA, USC, and Caltech. And then, you know, the amazing... You know, we got so many Cal State schools here and community colleges and you got the Claremont colleges and, you know, Pepperdine right down the street from Hughes Research Labs and, uh, you know, just so much cool stuff here. And and that does create, you know, even more diversity of ideas. And uh, and by the way, my, my wife also went to USC. So I uh, 
um, I, I have to be okay with USC. And it's, it's Berkeley is the only place I, uh, uh, I can still pretend that I have, you know, no love for whatsoever. Um, and even then I'll say that Berkeley is a pretty good school tool, but that's not in LA. So we don't need to talk about it. But anyway, I want, uh, you've, you've, uh, you know, you've worked on so many cool things, you know, in these three industries. And again, when you and I met, you know, as you know, you were advising, uh, um, you know, some health tech companies, uh, and we'll come back to kind of the community around that. But I really do want to jump into what you've been working on for the past couple of years, because that's, that's exciting, it's new, and I think it brings together everything you just said about LA and creativity and culture and diversity wrapped into entertainment, media, and technology. So uh, tell us a little bit about, about Brand Lens and what you're doing. Sure. Uh, it's an interesting way you actually had that transition to Brandlands. It really does describe how we operate. So one of the pillars of Brandlands is we see everybody as a creator. As far as Brandlands is concerned, everybody is a creator. You just have to be able to give people the right tools to be able to create. So this is why we built Brandlands. We are a platform, a B2B SaaS platform that allows brands and agencies to tell creative stories with their customers, clients, fans, <clears throat> You name it. So anybody is able to create a story, uh, branded, user-generated content. Uh, so that's kind of like how it, the whole thing came about. And uh, you know, and it's one of the important pieces to mention is we're very authentic. So it's generally speaking, a creator economy is growing like crazy, of course. And but everybody is focused on, hey, we got creators. They're generating user-generated content. But those content, they talk about authenticity, but that's not really authentic. All the creators and influencers get products and they are compensated by brands to do certain, you know, something for them. Nothing wrong with that. Absolutely beautiful. I mean, there's 50 million creators and taking jobs away from big productions to some extent, you know, balancing that out, you know, that super polished look of the brand with a nice and, you know, creator brand. We're taking that one step further. We're saying, look, you have people who purchase from you. They have your product already in hand. They love your product. They bought it multiple times. Reach out to them. Engage them further. So it's all about engaging your community and activating your community and getting more and more real, at this time, authentic user-generated content. So that's what we're all about uh, at Brandlens. Happy to tell you how we came to that. <laughs> yeah, no, I would love just, uh, yeah, how, yeah, how did you get it? Because I, I, I have a sense that you've gotten involved in things as investor, as advisor, you know, as founder. Uh, yeah, so sort of how did this one come about? Very cool. So yeah, that is exactly right. So, but taking us even a step further back, I've always been a sucker for like social media and interactive content, videos, photos. Going back to my Anderson days, I actually had a startup, didn't mention it, uh, uh, back in those days. And, and I, had, I ended up building very large Facebook pages uh, that I was managing over 60,000 followers or maybe more. I don't remember now they're sitting idle a little bit, but I always had that passion for social media, uh, for sure. So that along with the fact that we had, a, we were working with, uh, this, uh, app video app called D effect. So we were consulting this video app at D effect with, with, when we had a consultancy after my gig at the entertainment partners. And this app, uh, we were going to grow that app. It was basically all kinds of awesome effects uh, that the app that did uh, for people who like to create content. The app eventually got acquired, and I knew that there was a gap here where between the user-generated content and the real authentic content, and I've been looking, eyeing at that. So the founder had the exit with that app, and he had this wonderful technology that has been developing just coincidentally that matched you know, what, what I was thinking and going uh, around. Along with that came also an agency in Philippines that were wanted to, you know, work with us already with Brandless. The Brandless didn't exist. We had some ideas of starting. So all that came together. We're like, wow, this is awesome. We have the technology. Uh, we have the agency who wants to use the technology right away. And uh, now we have an idea. We just have to reposition our, you know, where we want to play in that niche. So we did a whole bunch of research. We figured out where we want to, uh, you know, position the company to make it unique, deliver different value than most of these creator marketplaces, et cetera, uh, that are happening right now. And that's how the brand lens was born. Still working with uh, with an agency back in Philippines. Uh, and all our technology is web-based. One of the interesting things about us is we have no apps. So everything is done organically over the web. And we have like this crazy camera that nobody can replicate on, on the web. 
Yeah, and that that's I mean I've seen this in action and you know and it is cool and I love the fact that it's web based because you know one you're you're you know I think you're saving on development costs because you've got a, a technology that can work on uh, you know any device or uh, you know certainly uh, you're not you're not building iOS and Android uh, in in parallel you're just building something that works on uh, you know standard web browsers but um, which which is just very cool and uh, you know gives you the ability to I think. I think scale faster and change faster and, you know, and nobody has to worry about feature, you know, feature parity, which I feel like, especially in these uh, kind of the more social apps and things, there's constantly that, you know, it's the, it's the push pull of that with, you know, it's just launch times and, you know, everyone knows that, you know, getting another app update on the iOS app store, you're, you're waiting for Apple and, while you're waiting for Apple, you don't necessarily want to wait for Google. And, and, but what happens is you get users who get very jealous, right? And the instant they look at the other platform and they say, wait, why can that person do this on the app and I can't do it on mine? They start to you know, get unhappy. And so you've got something that works for everyone the same way. So yeah, just, just walk me through sort of a, you know, a use case, whether it's, you know, an actual case study or just kind of like, what does the brand do with brand lens? And then what does a, uh, a user do with brand lens? Okay, awesome. So I'll run you through like two different cases. I'll run you how agency uses our platform. This is just so wonderful. So we have an agency who absolutely loves our platform. What they do is basically they have creators and they want to create uh, content with their creators for the brands that they manage. Giving briefs to those creators have been so hard. They would give a brief. The creators will come, make something very different. You know, they don't comply with particular points. They do something that is written, which is a mandatory. That nothing happened. You know, it's just so all over the place. So that was post uh, pre-brand list. Post-brand list, things are like same resolution. They're putting on-screen instructions to their creators. Imagine having uh, on-screen instructions where it says point here and then and then say, you know, look unhappy and point here, look happy, you know, so it with the timing where it's your pointing takes X long and then it accelerates. So you can actually replicate trends that are happening on TikTok and Instagram quickly on brand lens, come up with content with the creators and then brand that content with the, you know, because you're managing certain brands and get on those trends as soon as possible. That's how the, the you know, incredibly successful use case that, you know, uh, agencies are using to get on, on, on trends on uh, with brand lens. As far as brands are concerned, you know, I'll give you an evergreen, we call it evergreen campaign. Imagine that you're a brand and you just sold your sneaker, you know, uh, 10,000 sneaker, but every single time that sneaker was delivered at the, at the uh, customer's home, when the customer got an email saying, hey, your sneaker has been delivered, uh, click here, and, and then, you know, obviously the tracking number was, that it was delivered, and then there's an opportunity. Click here to show us your unboxing video and get 25% off on our next uh, purchase. So you're engaging with the customer, you're, you're hooking them for your next purchase, for their next purchase on the thing, and you're getting authentic user-generated content. So that's kind of like an evergreen. So it happens, can happen all the time. The emails are happening, every single thing that is sold, you know, it's going through, uh, you know, brandless is part of that, and it will help you acquire the content. That's kind of the evergreen. We, you can also do overall, uh, campaigns where basically you're trying to do an awareness campaign and uh, you want to basically give away certain, certain something and you're trying to get content. I'll give you another sneakers example there. Basically, you're, you're like, hey, you know what your grail sneaker is. Tell us what your grail sneaker is and why that's your grail sneaker and why we should give you one. Now, and then the win is, is that, you know, the, we're going to select 10 people who are going to get the grail sneakers that they're asking. So now your engagement is tied to the content, tied to the incentive, and now you can even have follow-up when they open their Grail sneakers and, and shoot those videos with, with us, et cetera. So, but we're brand's friends. So all of that is managed on our platform. Brand has all the instructions on the camera, landing pages, et cetera. So those are the multiple different ways that you know, brands can run uh, campaigns. Yeah, no, that's 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 really interesting. And again, I, I love the the kind of the unboxing, like that unboxing example in particular, especially because since you don't have an app, there's no friction there. So if someone gets that email and they're like, "Of course, I want to, you know, let me get you know twenty five percent off my my next you know pair of sneakers," like, oh, all I have to do is click on this link. I'm on the web. The camera opens up. I do the video. I you know submit it, and I'm done. 
it's so easy from a user standpoint, which I, I could imagine that that does get brands really excited and you know gives them the ability to do you know super super flexible things quickly. What about I mean you know LA uh, you know here in LA the past couple of years and it's going to keep on ramping up the next few years. You know we are the we are the sports capital of the world. I think uh, you know Super Bowl and World Cup and you know the Olympics is coming in 2028. So we're going to have people coming from anywhere and you know sports fans are passionate about their teams. They're passionate about where they're from. They're passionate about other products. What does that look like uh, for you know you in LA over the next five years to make big things happen? So we are in many different conversations with uh, both teams and also folks who have contacts at teams and other places working with sports. So we really, truly believe that's going to be one of the areas that's going to really flourish for us because on-site, on-site, off-site content, you know, hey, I'm preparing to come to the stadium or I'm at the stadium, I can scan this QR code, do X, Y, Z. You know, imagine you're, you know, having fun thing where you have a player playing on the camera. You have four players on different side corners of the camera saying, hey, all you got to do is point the, the, your, to your favorite player and give thumbs up. Which one is your favorite player? You can do all kinds of that stuff so we can give you the brand, all, all of that opportunity. So the sports is a big thing for us. It's coming up. We are in conversations. I think we very soon we're going to have our first sports team that we're going to be working with. Uh, so definitely, I think World Cup, uh, oh, so excited about World Cup. You know, but, and the uh, Olympics are a little bit down the road for us. Being a startup, we're just trying to grow now, but we definitely have that our eyes on that uh, uh, on those events coming in the future. Yeah, no, I think I think it's very cool, and you know, again, we're going to see more of that kind of we're going to see more of that kind of content. People are expecting to see it, and so I love that we're able to you know make it happen real time here in LA. So uh, there's a lot of moving pieces to what you're doing, from you know brand relationships to the tech development. What are you doing? Who else do you have doing it? What's the how is this funded? How is it happening? It's a, I mean it's a lot of questions wrapped into that, but basically it's sort of like. What's, let's peel back the, you know, under the curtain of brand lens and what's going on. Oh, man, crazy. It's, uh, as any startup would say, it's, everything is all over the place. So one day, you're, uh, today's my schedule was I onboarded someone. I made an offer to uh, somebody to join our marketing team and help me. I had a conversation for a partnership today, and then I am with you on a podcast. And then I'm going to jump into two different customer calls. Uh, which I hope we, I will be able to close with those. Yesterday was, you know, our, and then every day we actually, except for Friday, we have a team meeting in Armenia. It's like diversi- diversified way of approaching things. Obviously, every startup does it, but this is why I love it. Because remember, I told you, I just like multiple different things, very, very variety. It does take a tax on you where you're jumping from one to another. But let me take a step back. Yeah, so we have raised. We are uh, we put up for a while, and uh, we raised uh, our pre-seed. We just opened a seed uh, pre-seed round again. Uh, we did a very small initial round, and then we basically augmented that round further to help fuel our growth. So we we have the platform fully built. Obviously, nothing nothing is ever fully built. We have a lot of very big ambitions, uh, but we are in a very good place where customers are getting value from the platform. We ported our few our first. Uh, initial uh, customers, paying customers, and non-paying uh, unpaid customers. We're now we're in the phase of adding to onto that. It's, it's happening right now. Uh, we're seeing some of that growth. We want to fuel that growth with that additional capital. When we fuel that growth and then build the pipeline of how we want to scale from that point on, this would be the pre-seed. Then we will go to seed round. So that's kind of like the approach and where we we're at uh, at Brandlens. So. If anybody is interested, we'll be happy to talk to you. We have a lot of interest, but uh, right people always welcome. How much have you already raised, and what are you what are you trying to raise now? Just so we have a sense of scale. Very good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we've raised three hundred k. We and we've also boot, bootstrapped, you know, around two hundred k bootstrap from the founders. Uh, so three hundred k on top of that, we're looking from three hundred to five hundred k additional uh, dollars, five hundred k dollars. One of the beautiful things we have, and this is why, you know, my background brings such a wonderful thing. All of our development team is in Armenia and they're amazing. So I'm getting such a value from the Armenian team and, you know, and they're getting a value because working with the U.S. partners like us here. But uh, so our cost cost of development is very uh, reasonable. 
So we don't, we never needed to dilute a lot to actually build the whole platform and continue, you know, building and, and fueling the growth. But this 300 to 500K is going to go to the point of showing that we can scale and have the exact plan of being able to scale. Then the seed round comes to put basically uh, gasoline on the fire to start like really ramping up. Yeah, now that's 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 a that's a great great path, and the fact that you've been able to do so much with so little, and you've got something that's you know you're actually out there using you know functional product, and you got this dev team that is uh, very cost effective, and you know clearly you you've got the ability to uh, interface with them, which is sometimes a challenge with uh, with you know offshore international development teams, is you've got a you know it's not just time zones, it's cultural differences and language differences, and at least you've got the the culture and language piece down so you can make this happen, which is, which is awesome. So just, you know, on that note, uh, so you, you are looking for funding. You're also presumably looking for brands and other, other testers kind of, you know, what's your, what are your top three asks right now of, uh, of the, we are LA tech community kind of, you know, what are you looking for? And then how, how should they get in touch with you about that? Ooh, top three, as far as brands and agencies are concerned, you know, I think that we are, we'd love to work with anyone. Uh, our ideal, brand would be somebody who is more fashion forward, not fashion, let's say customer forward, you know, community people, the brands that love nourishing community, engaging their community. If you're one of those, we will basically light fire to that. And you will be, you know, getting a lot more engagement with them and, and the content, user generated content to fuel, I call the beast, the TikTok and the Instagram. Uh, so uh, if you're one of those uh, brands, we have few in from LA actually, and also ended up making Anderson and UCLA connections that are, you know, we're working with. Uh, please contact me. I think you guys will benefit greatly. And being a startup, we are very flexible. We want to make you successful. We handhold you every second. Uh, there's there's so much wonderful value that can come out of uh, relationships like this. So that would be the main ask. Um, of course, agencies I mentioned, agencies can take a lot of uh, value from brand lens as well. Got it. And then uh, so they reach out to you on email, LinkedIn, website. What's uh, the best way to get in touch? You can directly book a call with me on, on our website. We're very straightforward there. You can reach out to me on your email, brandlens.io, very straightforward. And obviously LinkedIn, you know, LA, when I say LA, I, you know, I always you know, work with anybody that reaches out, please do. You know, all, all channels are open. Yeah, no, I, I'm excited to see kind of where the, where this goes. And like I said, I mean, you, you and I have, uh, you've, you show me this in, in person demo, but I definitely want to figure out how we get this more connected to what we're doing with Bioscience LA and maybe our internship program, because we've got interns who are working with different companies and want to be able to tell their stories and, um, and we want to make it fun and engaging and also not difficult. So I think there's some opportunities there. Um, you are super. So let's see. When so you you know you were going to school. You were having a baby. You were uh, working, and so uh, you got kids. So you spend time with the family. But you know how do you how do you balance uh, how do you balance your life when you're not uh, working on on startups and uh, and and advising companies? What do you do for fun? What do I do for fun. Uh, <laughs> I still play soccer. So I I love soccer, football. Some call it, and you know I call both. Uh, and the funny part is, because I worked at JPL for 20 plus years, I played at JPL Caltech League. So I know Caltech really well and the Caltech community very well, JPL. Uh, up until last year, I was playing with that community until COVID happened. But uh, so, yeah, I, I'm passionate about soccer and football. And, uh, you know, I'm also passionate about cars. There is a like major LA car scene here, of course. Uh, and there's this thing called, uh, so every, not every Friday, I try to do as often as possible. You know, there's a, a group of folks who drive up to Newcomb's Ranch on, uh, you know, the Angeles Crest Highway. It's, it's just my de-stressor. You know, two hours, drive up, drive down. I come down, I'm very calm, ready to tackle anything that the startup throws at me. <laughs> so That's cool. That's, that's great. And that's funny. I've, I've been in LA for, like I said, you know, 22 years now and I've still, I've never actually been up there and I know people who do that and I feel like I have to take, take, take that drive sometimes. So, uh, I gotta, I gotta make it happen. So that's, that's a, uh, it's a, uh, reminder for me. And then you mentioned, uh, well, you, you mentioned kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, multiculture and, you know, the, the melting pot of LA and different cuisines. So I got to ask, so, 
what's your favorite place to go for Armenian food? And then what's your favorite place to go for not Armenian food? Oh my God. Uh, there are many Armenian restaurants in Glendale and Burbank. Every single one of them are wonderful. I think there's few that the people favor Carousel. I think Garas that just opened up, it's a little bit of a fast food chain, but it's a little more, you know, authentic. Um, there's so many, uh, I can't, I can't recommend <laughs> I can go on and on on the list. Actually, we might be working with one of them soon with, with Brandlands as well. So there are many very good ones. Actually, my, my favorite is Carlitos Cartel, uh, Argentinian steakhouse. Uh, it's probably the best steakhouse in LA. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I've, I've been there. It's been a while, but that's, that's good. Uh, that is, that is really good. So, uh, Awesome. And uh, look, there's so much we could be talking about here. I do want to uh, wind down, but just, you know, one final thought. I mean, and we, you know, we kind of touched on this a couple times from, you know, you first coming to LA to getting kind of, you know, falling in love with Los Angeles, UCLA, Anderson, sort of the network, sort of, uh, you know, what do you see as being kind of the the, the real, uh, you know, superpower, you know, we, we talk diversity, but kind of, you know, what makes LA so special and, and why, what keeps you staying here? I mean, to summarize everything we talked and I add something on top is, uh, you know, we talked about diversity, education, the weather, and then obviously all the good stuff. We are creativity center of the world. I truly believe that LA is. Now you add all this tech on top of that. There's nowhere else that exists a system like that that is going to take everything to the next level. I mean, we are all that diversity, the tech ecosystem and creativity that brings together LA, I think is going to be one of the fastest growing technology, technology areas in the world. You know, everywhere is there's technology focused, even in Armenia, Armenia is doing very well, but LA is, is just so well positioned, you know, uh, for, for specifically on creative technology aspect, you know, obviously clean tech is there as well, but, uh, there's so much and a biotech, but there's just wonderful place to be in with all those things you tie all those things together yeah could not agree more and uh thrilled to you know thrilled to keep making things happen on my end see what happens on your end and and definitely find some ways that we can keep keep connecting the dots between what you're doing with brand lens what we're doing with bioscience la the rest of the we are la tech community and uh and, and everything else Anderson and beyond. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Vahag. And you know, thank you, everyone, for listening, hanging out with the We Are LA Tech podcast. To connect and collaborate with more amazing people in the LA Tech community, please go to the We Are LA Tech Facebook group at wearelatech.com slash community. That's wearelatech.com slash community. Or say hello on social at We Are LA Tech on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. We'll see you on the next episode. See you soon. Take care. And Vahag, again, thank you. Thank you, Dave. Hi, this is Vahag Karayan, co-founder and CEO at Brandlens. We are a B2B SaaS platform to engage, create, and tell the branded stories to the community and customers. We are based in Burbank, and you are listening to We Are LA Tech. The We Are LA Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The We Are LA Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes.